0: Without any further ado, why don't you stand up and uh, we'll read the passage that's in the bulletin, which is from uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 31, a little bit of overlap with what we talked about last week. And this is the word of the Lord. Paul says, uh, but now, like God's doing a new thing, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. "...the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation," we'll explain that, "...by His blood to be received by faith." This was to show God's righteousness because in divine forbearance or patience He passed over former sins, And it was all to show that his righteousness at the present time, uh, it was all to show that his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So then what becomes of our boasting or bragging? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold or we maintain that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law or doing stuff. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of them too. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we overthrow then the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. A lot in there to explain and uh, explore. Let's pray before we do it. Uh, Lord, you tell us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And uh, Lord, we need to grow in our faith tonight, all of us uh, and Lord, we pray for our friends who may not uh, have any faith in you they haven't they 're not familiar with you they haven 't heard about you uh, and so whether we 're needing desperately our faith to grow and to be increased or whether we need it to be planted for the first time, you say we've got a good thing going for us tonight that we are here and the Bible is here and you are here and you are teaching and so Please do what you promised to do that increase our faith. Let us see the Lord Jesus as beautiful, as powerful, and as compatible for people like us. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. All right, take a seat. Thanks. So a few years ago, an event happened that one out of every three human beings on planet Earth tuned into television for like an entire day to watch happen. Two billion people Uh, does anyone know what this event was it was a couple of years ago two billion people stopped what they were doing to tune in like all day long to watch this event happen the royal wedding Wedding. wow we got some uh, tender hearts in the crowd yes and i'm not ashamed to admit i was one of these people now it makes all the sense in the world to me why one billion people tuned into the argentina germany world cup final uh this summer that makes sense to me Soccer's like the global sport. But why almost a third of the population of the planet tuning into the royal wedding? It's not like weddings are anything new to us, right? Um, Everybody's been to a wedding, seen a wedding. They're not like this drop everything you're doing so you can go watch it. And it also probably wasn't because it was an ornate, elaborate ceremony with all the pageantry and everything because there's other ornate elaborate, extravagant things that we get to go to, or maybe you see on TV like the Oscars. Those things don't get the ratings that this got. So why? My best guess as to why uh, a lot of us tuned into this is because royalty is inaccessible to us. It's unattainable. It's unthinkable. It's unreachable to people like us. And um, if you watch the coverage in, like, the lead-up to the royal wedding or the day of, you heard the announcers or the commentators use this phrase a lot. They would say, this is like a fairy tale. This is a fairy tale wedding, and this is like fiction jumping onto the pages of reality. But they use this language a lot about fairy tales, about uh, stories like that coming true, like the Cinderella story, this is becoming true. Because if you think about it, royalty is something that you can't educate yourself into you can't work yourself into you can't sleep your way into it you can't befriend your way into it you can't manipulate your way into it it is a glass ceiling it is an unattainable status that kind of pushes back against the american dream that says work hard enough and you can become the ceo you can become the celebrity musician you can become the president well not in england (laughs) Little boys and girls don't grow up here and you can be whatever you want to be. There's certain things they can't be. Because royalty is unattainable, unthinkable, and accessible. Except for one situation. And that's if a prince, in this case, comes and asks you to marry him. That's the only way that you can penetrate or get into this status that otherwise is inaccessible and unattainable to you. There's no other way in. Just marriage. Just if a prince comes to you or a king comes to you and says, uh, will you marry me? And two women recently did this. Uh, One, mainly when I was growing up, uh, Princess Diana, but then uh, Kate Middleton recently, when these two princes, Prince Charles and Prince William came to them and said, will you marry me? And their status has changed forever. And so they, the unattainable, the unthinkable, the unreachable actually happened for them uh, through that way. And so Paul is actually saying something kind of similar here that this status that he's been talking about, like we've been read some hard passages the past few weeks. Some of y'all are like, I'm impressed you're still here because Paul like kind of opened up his letter with a baseball bat, right? You're not righteous, you're not righteous, you're not right is what he said. Um, but what Paul is saying here is that in what I just read, if you had an ear for it, if you had eyes for it, what I read from Romans just said that the unattainable, the unthinkable, the unreachable, is actually attainable, reachable, and realistic for people like us. And so Paul is saying the int- the level of intrigue that the world had for the royal wedding, commoners like us watching this fairy tale unfold before eyes. Paul is saying there should be a similar intrigue or fascination uh, around the world for this other royalty that in a sense is given, this this unattainable status that we've been talking about the past few weeks called righteousness. Paul's been doing this just long, long um, exploration of how we don't have it. But now he's saying, just like in Kate and in Diana's situation, it's attainable in certain situations, this righteousness, this royal status that otherwise you can't get. And it is it does have a fairy tale quality to it. Frederick Buechner said the gospel Christianity is wishful thinking. Cuz a lot of people sometimes throw grenades at Christianity and say well, it's just wishful thinking. But Buechner says it is the wishful thinking that has come true. Or C.S. Lewis says it is the fairy tale, the one fairy tale that actually happened. It's the stuff your heart yearns for becoming, leaving the pages of fiction, leaving the pages of dreams and yearnings and hopes and dancing onto the screen of the news at night that it happened, it's real, it's realistic. That's what Paul is saying and that's why there's this little bit of a parallel between all of these people who were unattainable to the status of royalty. It was like a balloon that you'd let go of your hand. You could see it, you could describe it, you could taste it, but you couldn't grab it. Just like righteousness for you, being in a correct, not dislocated from God, but rightly related to God, the God who made you, right before him. Isn't it like the balloon that's always just like right here and as far as I can reach is here? And you can't get it. It's unattainable. And what Paul is saying here, the fairy tale that Paul is saying that came true, is God in his righteousness actually comes back down. The balloon lands and comes right to where you're standing and it comes right to your hands. And so this is this is kind of what he's talking about. And so before we push on, at least get this. At least get this that by faith in Jesus you can attain the unattainable. You can possess the unpossessable status of righteousness. You can't get it any other way. Royalty only comes through marriage. Righteousness only comes through faith and Jesus only. So get that before we push on, and then we'll talk about a lot of these things that kind of sounded clunky or like, I've never heard that word before, but at least get that, what Paul is saying at the beginning. Kate Middleton and Diana were very different women. Diana, if you didn't know anything about her, Princess Diana, she was a commoner. She was like the closest thing they've seen to a peasant princess. She didn't grow up in much money. She was a country girl. If you've ever seen pictures of her... uh, At their engagement, she was like super plain, like plain Jane. Like just this cardigan and just like jeans or something, plain haircut. Not anything that kind of, I don't know, you would say there's a princess. She had a country accent. She was unsophisticated. Um, And royalty for her was inaccessible until Prince Charles came and said, will you marry me? Kay Middleton's the opposite, right? Super, super rich girl. Uh, Aristocratic Her dad is like a duke. I don't even know what that means, but I think it means you're rich and have a lot of land. Uh, Her dad's like a duke. Uh, She was like primed and polished for royalty even before. Uh, And yet royalty for her was just as inaccessible, right? Because aristocrats are just as far away as peasants from this status that only comes through marriage. Um, And so both of these women were equally as far away uh, from royalty, And yet at the same time, in a sense, through marriage, both of them were just as close to royalty. It was just as accessible uh, to both of these women. Now, here's another connection point. Paul is saying, in a sense, everybody in the room, verse 23, if you're tracking with me, verse 23 says, all of us who came tonight and the people who didn't come tonight have fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned. We don't measure up. We've fallen. We've dropped the biggest ball we were ever entrusted with. But he doesn't stop there. Okay, so he says we're all equally far away. Peasant, spiritual peasant, you have no pedigree in Christianity. Maybe you're here tonight to check it out. You're a doubt or whatever else. Like you have no background. Spiritual peasants and spiritual aristocrats, people who've been in church since your first week alive. You know everything. All your friends are Christians. You know all the right answers. Aristocrat or peasant, you're just as far from God. You're equally inaccessible. Uh, or righteousness is equally inaccessible to you. And yet at the same time, does Paul f- stop his sentence there? Uh-uh. He's, he, there's this beautiful and, and before that this beautiful but now, he's like, hey, I'm not done yet. Keep listening. Because he says, justification, talk about in a second, but justification, this righteousness that God gives you, is also through Jesus just as accessible to every single person in the room. I don't care if tonight's the first night you've ever heard the name Jesus or if tonight is the billionth time you've heard it. God says you are on equal ground. His grace is equally available Uh, because royalty is given at the king's choosing. Whoever Charles wanted to marry, he says, Will you marry me? If she says I do, she is declared the wife of the prince. She's declared a princess. Uh, and just righteousness is something that's God's to give. It's not yours to polish, like Kate Middleton, that got her nowhere. It's not yours to, in a sense, throw up your hands and say, all is lost, I don't have this. It's God's gift to give. And so if he is the one taking initiative, it means everybody, religious people, not religious people, confused people, clear people, have equal access, it's equally available Uh, to all of us because it's a gift. And here's the good news about what he's talking about is that God is a king who leaves the palace. He's not a king, and this this is really kind of challenging some of your views about what God is like. God is not a king who stays holed up in the palace, kind of with the upper crust, the religious upper crust, the elite kind of eating grapes and drinking wine all the time and hearing reports about how much you've messed up your life. He is the God who goes out of the palace and begins to walk the streets and the alleyways and the gutters and the plantations for the proud people. He begins to walk these paths and His righteousness, like the balloon that comes back within grasp, His righteousness walks its way right to your doorstep. This is what Paul means when he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested or has started showing up Outside of the pristine palace, the confines of the law. In other, in other words, the righteousness of God has started to go for a walk to your neighborhood. And even tonight, it's showing up at your doorstep. The question is, what are you going to do when this king is outside? And his question, he's saying here, and he's saying other places, it'll be even more clear later on, is will you marry me? Not, do you believe there's a God? Not some endless, meaningless philosophical cul-de-sac that you never get out of, uh, but a much more personal, intimate, cut-to-the-chase, forget-the-B.S. kind of question. Will you marry me? Why does he ask that question? It's the only way you'll ever become a royal. It's the only way you can ever hope to be right with God and right with other people. It's the only way that dislocated shoulder or that dislocated gets put back, shoulder gets put back in the socket. Now, here's a little side note. Blind marriages are a bad idea. I showed up on Anna's doorstep to propose to her. She lived in Colorado. I lived in Philly. And I flew all the way out to Denver to surprise her. And I got a rental car, and I drove an hour and a half to Colorado Springs. And I uh, sat out in her driveway, and then I went to the door. And knocked. She didn't know I was going to be there. And she came to the door and she saw me. uh, And she let me inside. That was a good sign. I was like, let's keep going. I'll keep pushing on doors, see if this goes well. And I asked her to marry me. And she said yes. Why did she say yes? Why did she say yes, I'll marry you? Because I bet you money if her next door neighbor who she didn't know showed up at her doorstep at 9.30 at night when I did and said, hey, will you let me in? Number one, he wouldn't have been let in. If he asked her to marry him, the police would have gotten there sooner than they would have otherwise. (laughs) So here's the deal. God doesn't show up on your doorstep in a sense as a stranger. Paul says the law and the prophets, that's fancy talk for the Old Testament, the whole Bible, every story you've heard, everything you've heard from Scripture, all of it testifies to Jesus All of it introduces God to you. This is why I prayed earlier. When we get to Romans 10, this same Paul who wrote this stuff tells us, where does faith come from? Can you manufacture faith? If you're a sensitive person, you know you can't because you feel so sad that your faith is so small a lot of times, right? And you're like, how am I supposed to conjure this up? Faith comes by God introducing himself to you through the Bible, through its teaching, through its preaching, through your reading. So that, When you see him on your doorstep, you know who you're looking at. You know what he's like. You trust him. Something in you wants him because you know his reputation. You know what he's done with other people. You know what his promises are. Or you know enough, just enough, to say, okay, come in. And it's not like... Look, y'all can talk to Anna. You can interrogate her. Did she not have any doubt or any fear or any uncertainty when she said, yes, Ben, I'll marry you. I want to do life with you. Absolutely not. She had a ton of fears. Even though she knew me for two and a half years, even though we have history together, there was still doubt. There was still fear. There was still uncertainty. You can't predict the future like that. But she knew enough of me to say, I want this. So here's a stopping point. For those of you who have said yes to Jesus because he has come to you, you have seen him and you did want him, uh, this is for you. But it's even more for those of you who maybe for tonight the first time, you're waking up to the fact that the God of the Bible is a God who has feet and he's a God who walks and he's a God who comes to you. He's not the God who shouts from heaven, do all these things so that you can get your way to me. He's a God who has righteousness and he likes to give it. He's a God who is royal and he likes to share it. So the question for you tonight is, what are you going to say to his question? Are you going to let him in? Uh, If not, are you going to look through the peephole a little longer and see what he's like? Are you going to read the Bible? Are you going to listen and hear, maybe this is a God that I want so bad and need so bad? Okay, so that's kind of the first um, message uh, for the night. Probably the second group that this message is to is Christians, right? Because Paul says at the beginning of this letter, to the saints in Rome, to the beloved of God, right? He's talking to Christians, he's talking to church people. Um, And so part of the other message is this, and and back to the metaphor for a second. When Kate Middleton or Diana uh, said, I do, to Charles and William, they were declared husband and wife, right? You've been to a wedding, you know how this works. The preacher says some words... And a new reality comes into existence. You can't really see it. And uh, once you experience marriage, you don't really feel it. You're kind of not there in the moment. You haven't slept in like a week and been arguing with your mother-in-law about the bulletins and everything. And like, you're just not there. But So you don't necessarily see it. You don't necessarily feel it. But something legally, something existentially has changed about you. Anna's name changed there. Her status before God's eyes and before everybody else's eyes changed like that. She walked down that aisle a different person than she walked up that aisle. A different status was given to her. Same with Kate and Diana. They became royal. They, uh, their accounts were immediately merged. His bank account, thank God, became her bank account. <laughs> His access became her access. No more flashing credentials to get into the palace. It's her palace now. Um, his prestige becomes her prestige. His honor, his privileges, all become hers, because she was declared, in that moment, the wife, or declared a royal. You're a princess now, and you always will be. But what about the people? What about the folks of us in the room um, where you feel like? I said I do, whatever your euphemism is for that. I asked Jesus into my heart or I became a Christian or God made me alive, whatever um, you said I do. You feel like, okay, well, that happened a long time ago or it happened long enough ago that it feels like the honeymoon's over between me and God. Like the butterfly feelings are over the effortless love, the effortless reading my Bible, the effortless praying where it was just automatic has gone away and now it's like, man, I'm back to a place where it's like, Lifting my finger spiritually feels like moving a mountain. And you're like, how does this passage have anything to say to you? Because it seems to just be like this evangelistic call for people who don't know Jesus. But again, it's written to Christians. Um, In a sense, this is what it says to you. Uh, Diana and Kate both were interviewed by the BBC one year after they got married. And the interviewer asked them the question, what's been the hardest thing the first year of marriage. He was trying to get like the, has it been a hellacious first year? Y'all fight all the time? Both of them said the same thing. They both said the hardest thing about being a royal now, one year in, is that I still don't feel like a royal. And they said, I forget who I am now. Like for 20 something years, I ate like a commoner. I shopped like a commoner. I, um, I, uh, I had relationships like a commoner. I thought and dreamed like a peasant. And now my status has changed and my heart and my emotions and my feelings haven't quite caught up. And I find myself kind of slipping back into my old humor or the old way I used to walk. I forgot like this new uh, stride I'm supposed to have. And I forgot about the security and everything. And they said that's the hardest thing is remembering that I'm a royal and acting like it. You ask any Christian who's been a Christian for any amount of time, who's, a, who's really alive, what's the hardest part about being a Christian? You'll get a similar answer, I think. You will from me. Ben, what's the hardest part 10 years into being a Christian now? Honeymoon is in the rearview mirror. We're in the deep waters now of marriage between me and Jesus. What's the hardest thing? 10 years later, it's still remembering that I'm righteous. Righteous it is still remembering that I'm royalty. Why? Because when when a preacher declares you husband and wife, your emotions aren't really in real time. And your, your, your relationship takes time to catch up. Because when he declares you husband and wife, or when he declares you a royal, or God declares you righteous, he's talking about your status. Single, married. Royal commoner. He's talking about your status, not so much your condition. Okay? Not so much your condition about like sinful or purified or whatever else. When I said I do to Anna, when I said I will to all of those promises that we had to take to one another, what I was saying I will to is I will walk through this season of learning to be who I just promised to be of learning to wake up to this new status, of learning to grow into this big pair of shoes that was just given to me, of being a husband and her being my wife. That's what I had promised to do. I didn't promise that I would be different in that moment. I promised that I will grow into what's been given to me freely right now. And it's the same thing with justification. God justifies you. He declares you are right with Him. The declaration the righteousness comes on the front end. The feelings come later. The, the, the trickle-down effect of that comes later. Sometimes it's really good right there. Sometimes it's, it's years and years later. But you need to get that right. The prerequisite for coming to Jesus or saying, I do, isn't that your heart is on fire and everything in you uh, just can't help but say, I want you, I need you. It's okay to come with doubts. It's okay to come with a cold heart and say, I need you because I have a cold heart. I need you uh, because I don't feel this. And so this is important to see kind of with the metaphor. Kate and Diana had the same self-image, the same habits, the same self-esteem, the same everything before that wedding and after that wedding, even though their status had radically changed forever. And that's what they said in the interview. And that's what any Christian will really tell you. Um, The biggest problems for me come when I forget that I'm righteous already. I already have what I think I most need. Biggest problem in my marriage comes from when I forget that I'm married and I act like I'm single. Those of you in relationships know this is true. You get most frustrated, most hurt by your boyfriend or your girlfriend when they forget they're dating you. There's no time for you. There's no attention towards you because they're still caught in bachelorhood or bachelorettehood. And it's hurtful when you forget who you already are. It's the same as a Christian. Where do we run into the most pain and confusion and tangledness? It's not when we cease becoming something. The days Kate forgets how to walk like a princess, It doesn't. it's not like, okay, you're not royal anymore. It's like you're royal, but you're not walking like a princess. And there's space and there's time to work through that. It's a big point to get. You've spent most of your life not righteous, in God's eyes even. A lot of you have spent most of your life with peasant habits, peasant feelings, peasant self-image, and it's going to take God the rest of your life, and it's going to take you dying and being resurrected clean and good uh, for him to purify you, the habits, the tendencies, the old stuff that he's weaning out. So that's what happens when we forget our justification. When we forget our new status with God, just like the married couple, bad stuff begins to happen. We start justifying ourselves. Are you tired, Christian? Are you you feeling like God's angry with you again? He's at odds with you again. He's pushed you away again. He's in his palace and you're outside looking through the fence. And he doesn't really care whether you come in or not, or he's keeping you out. We begin to justify ourselves. How much have I done this, that, or the other lately? Performance becomes our way into the palace. We work up credentials to show the guard to get into the place where our bedroom is inside of, a place we already belong we're trying to break back into. And God sometimes says, why why do you have a crowbar trying to get into your very own bedroom? You belong here. Why are you breaking in? So hear that. We try to create significance and meaning and justify our existence in a million other ways. A million other ways. Uh, to, to make ourselves measure up. We get restless. We boast if we think we're actually doing well. We brag, which Paul talks about in the last few verses. And so here's my, here's my where we finish tonight is with this question. Well, what are you to do? What are forgetful people like us to do who give us 24 hours and we'll be like, sleeping in the gutter again. Uh, Give us 24 hours and we'll escape the palace uh, and we'll be back to our old ways. What are we to do tonight, tomorrow, about a heart that's prone to wander like that? There's been a few times in my life where I've been so stuck that um, I have gone through hell and high water to hear somebody tell me, Somebody who has the confidence and the ability to tell me, you're going to be okay, Ben. A lot of people try to tell me that. I'm talking like, I just graduated and I have no idea what I want to do with my life. And everybody's asking me. Uh, or, should I marry this person or not? Or, who should I marry? Or, what's it supposed to feel like when you know? Um, and, or, after really big failures in my life. Where I am trying, I'm searching high and low for a person who can tell me, I hear you. I know the situation, but you're going to be okay. And most of the times people tell me that and it just floats right out of my head and my ears. Why? Because they can't see the future. And I know they can't see the future. So how can they assure me it's going to be okay? And so what I found myself trying to do is finding that person, and you all do this too, you try to find that person who's like their story most lines up with your story, their personality is most like yours, It's like you try to find that person, you're asking them questions, kind of pretending interest in them as a person, but you're really like, is this this like a template for my life? Because if it is, this person has already lived my future, and I want to hear them tell me, it's okay, it's safe, you're going to be okay. That's what we're searching for, is someone who can look into the future and tell you in your tangle of predicaments, in your tangle of suffering, in your guilt, who can look at you and say, it's okay, it's all going to be okay. Justification, God declaring you righteous, is actually him looking into the future and saying, I'm going to let you see what I see. At the end of time, when people stand before me and give account for their lives, you're going to be okay. It's all going to be okay through Jesus. That's what he's saying. And, and it's not just that he wants to... T- God is not the shallow, really eager and trying to be helpful counselor who always is ready to say, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. He is the only one who can afford to tell you it's going to be okay. Like if you fail a test and the professor who's grading the test says, hey, I know you failed the test. I know you're going to, you're going to lose your scholarship, but let me tell you this. I'm going to grade them on Friday and you're going to be okay. And you're like, holy moly. I don't know how this is going to happen, but the guy who's grading my test just said he knew I I failed it, and he just said, I'm going to be okay. See how that future event just crashes into the present and changes everything? God is looking to the future, and he's saying the moment you look to Jesus, the moment you look through that peephole and say, I need him, I want him, he is for me. He has come for me. At that moment that your weak little scary hand reaches out and turns that knob, at that moment, God brings to you the future. And he says, this moment way off into the future is landing into the present, and it changes everything. The last two things, so that's the first thing he says is, you're going to be okay. But he doesn't just say that. He tells you how you're going to be okay. Because this is... Some of you are thinkers. Some of you can talk yourself out of any promise. It's like you're little lawyers and you always find the fine print that, it, it, that it's like the escape clause for you. Yeah, the gospel is good news, but not for people like me. Or God says he's patient, but I've screwed up too many times. Here's the fine print that excludes me from the promise. Um, God, tell, God, in a sense, throws up the hood of the gospel and says, hey, you don't believe me? Why don't you take a look under the hood for yourself? He he accommodates himself to your skepticism. He stoops down to your suspicion and says, You want to inspect me? Okay, go ahead, inspect me. Here's how I did it. He says, I put forward Jesus as a propitiation, which means you are right to feel that I would be angry against you for what you've done with your life. You are right to feel ashamed. You're right to feel guilty but I have put forward Jesus as the one that all of that anger falls on. Okay, some of you have heard this your whole life, and you're like, I get the mechanics of it, I get the arithmetic, but you don't get why God shows you the math book. He wants you to see that this is watertight. It's to increase your confidence so that you stop talking yourself out of the promises and out of the good news. He's saying, wrestle with it all you want. It's true, I did it. Jesus has made you royal. He has made you righteous and you can't argue your way out of it. I made him who knew no sin to be you, me, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might become royals with a whole new identity, a whole new access, a whole new status forever. That's what he's saying. So he doesn't just tell you that. He justifies you in Jesus. He lets you look to the future and he says, I see that day. And you will be okay. All who look to Jesus by faith will be okay. Let's pray that he would make this truer for those of us who have already said I do and true for the first time for those who have not. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the prince who left the palace to look for his bride. And you are the one who doesn't discriminate between aristocrat and peasant. You're not affected by those outward appearances. Uh, We thank you that you have shown up on our doorstep to say, will you marry me? And we pray that you will give us the faith it will take to open that door and to say, I will. And we pray for all of us that through your Holy Spirit, you would more and more persuade us of what we already are, clean, good, innocent, and righteous in your eyes so that we would stop trying to re-break back into the palace, but that we would learn to set up shop inside of it to make it our home and to see you as our father, our friend and our lover. We ask this in your name. Amen.